This episode is brought to you by WeatherGuard Lightning Tech. At WeatherGuard, we make lightning protection easy. If your wind turbines are due for maintenance or repairs, install our Strike Tape Retrofit LPS upgrade at the same time. A Strike Tape installation is the quick, easy solution that provides a dramatic, long-lasting boost to the factory lightning protection system. Forward-thinking Windsite owners install Strike Tape today to increase uptime tomorrow. Learn more in the show notes of today's podcast. Welcome back. I'm Alan Hall. I'm Dan Blewett, and this is the Uptime Podcast, where we talk about wind energy, engineering, lightning protection, and ways to keep your wind turbines running. All right, welcome back to the Uptime Wind Energy Podcast. I'm your co-host, Dan Blewett. On today's show, we're going to talk a little bit about the Vineyard Wind Project just approved here uh, in the U.S. We're going to chat about drainage hole cleaning and some of the lightning implications for drainage holes and the water that uh, can be potentially kind of reservoir up inside of a blade. Uh, We'll talk about kite power, which is something, obviously, it's not, it's wind energy just of of a different type. And we'll also talk a little bit about some new blade recycling tech just announced by Vestas. So, Alan, let's start with uh, the Vineyard Wind project. So, obviously, this was a big thing with the Biden administration, and this got approved pretty quick. And it's going to bring a lot of offshore wind power to your neck of the woods. Yeah, and off the coast of Massachusetts and um, New York and all the eastern seaboard states, is there's just a <laughs> if you've ever been out there. It's kind of windy, especially you get offshore a little bit. There's like constant wind. Uh, so it has been talked about for years, at least 10 years now, about having some wind turbines offshore uh, off the coast of Massachusetts because the winds are just good and stable. And it's it's finally happening. There's been a lot of resistance in the state about it, particularly um, from fishermen, uh, from people who own land on the, along the ocean have been complaining about it for a long time. So to see it at least start is a good sign. But until it's in, I kind of wonder if it's really going to happen. So it, it has a long way to go, I think, before we get through all the little tiny details about the, the site and what's going to happen and what's going to be installed and how it's going to be installed and what effect that it has on the local economies and all those things haven't been settled yet. So there's still... Still details to go through, but it's it's a good start. It is a good start. Well, potentially up to 4,000 megawatts of capacity, and um, the 800-megawatt uh, vineyard wind project is going to be a piece of that. But it's a, it's a lot of wind power coming to the U.S., so it'll be interesting to see how just how fast that comes together. And um, like you said, some of the industrial changes that are going to have to happen in factories and all these jobs that are going to have to come to fruition there up in the, the Northeast. There's going to be a ton of uh, new jobs and training going on, and it's going to create its own local economy. It's essentially what it'll do. Uh, But very little of that infrastructure is there right now. So it's all created from the ground up. And then that's going to be the hard part. All the details are going to be the hard part. Yeah. And of course, there's probably, like you said, there's probably going to be more challenges to it. I don't know. I mean, now that it's proved, I don't know how far they can go, but I'm sure that's not the end of some of these. high-powered residents up, you know, in the the Nantucket area. There's a lot of money up there. So, (laughs) Yes, there is. Yeah, and there's uh, obviously Martha's Vineyard and 
I think people will probably have some worries, again, like the very high wealth residents of these areas that it's going to maybe bring people they might deem undesirable to their area, like more blue collar workers into this very closed door, you know, white picket fence kind of area. And that's, (laughs) I think that's a disappointing attitude. And and I think that's why a lot of these products get fought, you know, for their, their beloved view and view into the Atlantic ocean. Right. Sure. Well, you pay a lot of money for it and you want to maintain that, that value that you had. And if it takes away from future buyers, that's a, that's a problem. It decreases mm-hmm. the value, especially in such a fine sliver of how of the housing market and the land market. You're playing at these really volatile ends of the market, and little changes like that can increase or decrease value. So, you know, people are, are rightly concerned about it. But as time goes on, the stress level has come down a good bit. I don't think you'll see such huge fights about it like we were 10 years ago but there'll still be fights it's inevitable well and one of the things i had been hearing and reading just various articles from different perspectives just that already there's fights like in new york state about how much uh you know of the materials and and of the machines themselves should be shipped in from overseas like shouldn't we be sure manufacturing them all here in the u.s is sure. that realistic like and one of the things that was cited is that even in the UK, where there's obviously a ton of offshore wind, it still doesn't make sense in all situations. And even, in fact, in a lot of situations to throw up a factory, even right there, like it still makes financial sense to ship them in from China or from somewhere else, depending on just the complexity and the size and the cost and just the overall scope of the program. So sure. um, that'll be another interesting battle because everyone's like, well, all right, well, we're doing this here in the US. Like, why aren't we doing all of it here in the US? But Sometimes just like, you know, with a, you know, with a company, sometimes it just makes sense to bring in a contractor, bring in a mm-hmm. consultant rather than train all of your people and get all the systems. Just like, let's bring in someone who's already got this up and running if we're going to try to get this out the door on, on time. I and mean, you see that with the aircraft sector, right? Oh, sure. Sure you do. I mean, I, Boeing, I th- you, you think like Boeing or Airbus, like when these huge aircraft companies just make every part of the plane, right? Like that seems like an outsider's perspective. Like, why don't they make their own engines? They're, they're paying <laughs> 50 you know, $20 million for an engine. Like, why don't they make their own? But it's just so expensive to get the plants and the factories and the workers and the and expertise. The people. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it's, that's the problem. In Massachusetts, it's in a little bit of a weird spot in this sense. The government pretty much runs on the more liberal side, Democrat side, uh, which usually comes along with uh, support of union jobs that those two have been interlaced for a long time like when they had the big dig when they basically restructured all the roads in the center of boston that was a billion was it a, roughly a billion dollar event and there was a lot of interest like connected into that politically to, to get their part of that pie and i i don't see this the wind turbine effort being really any different i think it's going to play out in a similar way as me a lot of in massachusetts backroom deals that you're not going to hear about but uh when there's such a large pile of money on the table and politicians have some way of influencing where that goes they will obviously will Uh, so that and that's where the the fight starts is that the sort of the the common citizen is fighting against their own state government which is what's going to happen and we saw that in the big dig we saw that another things with roads in Massachusetts and n- numerous other large projects in the state. 
I, I just don't think this is being any different. You, you just you prepare. It gets to be just commonplace. You, you, oh, you can almost check the boxes. Okay, there's going to be this lawsuit, then it's going to go away, and then the unions are going to ask for their share of the pie, and they're going to get it, and <laughs> the chain just rolls on. You know, it's just what's going to happen. So yeah, well, I mean, we'll we'll keep our ear to the ground with that, and then there's going to be so many developments with those projects over over a long period of time, but. They are putting in the GE Halley 8X, which I'm excited about because it's got the best name in huge offshore <laughs> wind turbines. Well, I, so, there you go. I, they, I, they are American. Yeah, it's an American company. So, where's GE's headquarters at? Any know? I think. No, that's a good I question. They, I think they. I think they were going to move to Boston at one point. I, I don't remember if they actually did. I, I remember at one point they had bought a, a lot of land right down on the on the water to move their headquarters to Boston. So it's not surprising that that has happened right you've already got sort of ge clawing their way into that and it's mm-hmm. similar territory so yeah sure but yeah that's the way those things go you know all right so let's move on here to drainage holes so you know these things have to be cleaned uh just part of the regular yeah. maintenance of <laughs> these wind turbines and they can fill you know the blade tips can fill with water um and over at arones they've got some interesting technology with their robots helping to clean those out but um, Alan, what's the big deal with drainage holes? I mean, is it a big lightning risk? That's the angle I want to kind of chat with mm-hmm. us uh, today. Is it that big of a deal if your drainage hole is, if you got a little water inside, does it really need to be cleaned that regularly? I mean, is this going to increase the likelihood of lightning damage and severe strikes? It can. And the general thought about it is if you have water trapped in the tip area of the blade and there's a lightning strike that that water is going to evaporate and then create all this internal pressure and then cause the blade to split. Now, in theory, I guess that's possible. I haven't seen that in any sort of laboratory testing played out, but I'll tell you what the water does do, which I know is a problem, which is it causes a bunch of corrosion. So anytime you have corrosion between electrical joints, it just creates arcing and sparking and bad stuff to happen. So the the, the water starts to eat away at, at metal components like the lightning receptor and all the cables and things that are inside. And that just leads to a degraded lightning protection system. So when Arons goes out and starts measuring these lightning protection systems and they find high resistance values, that's one of the reasons why is that there's just a corrosion issue and there's water trapped in there is just eating away at the metal components. That's the first one. The, 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 the second one is, I think it, it's the water, If when it's trapped like that, starts to weep places. And, and if it happened to freeze, then you got a really big problem. But it tends yeah. to weep into the structure. And so the structure just sort of absorbs it. And it's not as dialectically strong. It's not it, the ability to, for lightning to puncture through it is less than if it was if it was dry. And that's a problem. So you don't want water. Trapped in, in the blade very long. You want it to drain out. And what Arones is finding is that they start cleaning out these drain holes is that they're getting liters, gallons of water to pour out of these blades pretty regularly. I, I've heard stories of, of uh, technicians, uh, guys on ropes that are cleaning out these these drain holes they said well there's 30 40 gallons of water in there like wow 30 40 gallons is a lot of water to and stress in my opinion it's heavy it's heavy you're right and you're slinging this thing around at some pretty high speeds so it can't do good things to the blade structure and you need to make sure those holes are clean because as we've seen in many cases 
if the blades are stopped for any length of time, insects are going to be right up in those holes. And like in Texas and other places where there's all kinds of great hornets that like to make nests and bees that like to make nests up in these holes, it's just a continual problem. And at least the Rones is addressing it in a, in a, in a logical sense in, in, in this manner, which is I don't have to have a technician or a rope to clean those out anymore. I can do it with a, basically a robot system and do mm-hmm. a lot of them fairly quickly, which is the beauty of of Danis's uh, and Arone's approach is the quickness of it. And they can, because you can do it so quick, you can cover a lot of territory, which means you can come back in a year or two and do the same thing again, because it's so inexpensive to do. And that's the bonus. And I think, so a lot of the measurements that Arone's making for lightning protection system resistances will start to clear up as they get the water out of the blade. So moving on, uh, I want to chat a little bit about Vestas. So they've made a big announcement this week. Um, unfortunately, a little bit vague. I was hoping to get a little bit of a deeper dive into what they're actually doing. But uh, Vestas has announced a partnership with Olin, which is a, um, you know, like a chemicals company. They specialize in uh, like resins and, and resin systems, stuff like that, mm-hmm. um, to break down old blades and recycle them essentially into what they're saying is virgin materials. Again, it's not exactly clear what that means. Mm-hmm. Um, but... You know, I have, so I have two questions for you here. Number one, you know a lot about composites, um, having worked in you know in aerospace for a couple decades. Um, <laughs> is it easy to put to take these apart? Obviously, um, you know, chemical producer Olin has you know a specialty in resins, right? But right, it, it doesn't seem like this has been done before, and now they feel like they have found a way. And my second question to you is. If Vestas is invested in this, is this something that's going to be available to everyone else? Like, is this going to be proprietary, kept close to the, to the vest? Pun intended, uh, Vestas. Um, that's but you, great. This question. is something you want the whole you want the whole industry to be able to do, right? Because you don't want to only be able to recycle Vestas blades, but all blades. So right. I'm curious how that would play out in the future. I wonder, yeah, I wonder if there's a licensing play that Olin's going to be involved with. I don't mm-hmm. know because it, it is a dramatic statement to say. You're going to take a thermoset, and what they're saying is they're using they're basically pulling the thermoset resin out of an existing blade or or, or a future blade uh, that they can break that down, get the fiber out, and reconstitute those chemicals that made that epoxy or that hardening system thermoset happen. So a thermoset is a chemical reaction that occurs to make like basically take two chemicals and make them into a uh, liquid chemicals into a hard, stable, durable solid. Uh, so there's a chemical reaction that happens and you put fiber inside of that to, to, to tighten it up and make it very, very strong, right? So to undo that chemical reaction and to get back to base components again is hard to do. Uh, so I'm, there's no details. And I, I, having, I, I was thumbing through patents too to see if I could see an application or something. It's got to be somewhere. Uh, mm-hmm. where that where the magic lies and i haven't seen it yet so it must must be pretty close to the vest at this point but you're right dan i mean if it's such a game changer in terms of reuse recycle it would be a shame if that technology yeah. doesn't transfer out to other to the ge's and to the siemens gamestas and all the other companies that, that are making wind turbines because it's not just needed in one manufacturer. That's needed. That's a worldwide solution to a problem yeah. that needs to occur. So we'll have to see. Yeah. And of course, not assuming that it won't be right. I just there just hasn't been any word about it. And of course, you know, right. if you're one of these big wind turbine producers and you can make a partnership like this and you can find a solution, sure, you jump on it. So there's not mm-hmm. no no reason to assume <laughs> that Vestas wouldn't, you know, 
share this or license it or whatever, but obviously it makes good sense for them to jump on it. So, but oh, again, that's yeah. just a, a, a question, um, on whether or not this would be a ubiquitous technology where everyone can, can use in the future if it even, um, yeah, if it makes sense to do that, yeah, because it might take tons and tons of like factory and labor to get this done where it's like right. not going to make sense to, I don't know. The you, economics you, you figure, may not be there. Yeah, to stand this whole project up might take a lot right. where only they're really poised to do it once they get it going. You never know. Yeah. But yeah, a lot of turbine blades coming online, so they got to go somewhere and they're gigantic. <laughs> we all know this. I yeah. still vote for some sort of like mechanical creature, like a like a King Kong kind of thing to just smash them. <laughs> then we can like create a huge uh, arena and just watch them just snap them like, you know, like chopsticks. That's my vote personally. And they can just stomp them into, into submission. But I digress. <laughs> um, last on the agenda today, let's talk about kite energy. Um, so if you haven't seen these, it's really interesting. Um, the, it looks like the leader in this division right now is sky sales and they have sort of what looks like a parachute and attached to a cable. And it's just essentially just like loops around the sky and drives a turbine back on the ground. Not like a wind turbine, but it's got its own, again, the, the details of it are, they do a decent job explaining, but it's not exactly clear to me how that's converted into electricity. Um, but it's essentially a way to harvest some energy from pretty high up on uh, like up to 400 meters up in the sky. So Skyscales is one company that's doing this. Uh, Kite Mill is another one. They don't have a parachute design. Theirs looks more like an actual physical glider, like a hard, again, if you just imagine a, right. a glider. Yeah. And then there's a now defunct company um, called Makani. And they were, I think, doing this about 10, 12, 13 years ago. And Google invested in them, but later dropped their investment. So, uh, Alan, I mean, what what are your initial thoughts about some of the stuff that Sky Sales and, and Kite Mill are trying to do, harvesting these higher uh, swirling winds? Well, the, the Sky Sales is interesting because it's essentially a, a, a parachute that's on a cable that's tied to a generator. So as, a, as the wind pulls the parachute system in the airfoil further away it's spinning a generator so they're using that wind to basically tug a line it's spinning a generator so the the kicker is that then when it gets out to its full extension they they basically change the air shape of the airfoil and they bring it back down they're not using a lot of energy to recoil that spool of cable that's sort of how it works so it's i've it seems like they were going to pair them up in ones or twos or threes of these things and it seems simplistic enough to work. As crazy as it is, it seems like it's going to work. And they've they've got working systems put together, which is really cool. So I'm I'm interested in it as it gets out into service. It's supposed to be Q1, and we're past Q1, but uh, it, it's got to be out in service relatively shortly. I want to see this thing out in service. I want to see it working because I think that the idea is really interesting. If it works, it's even better. And how how well it works in a variety of environmental conditions is is going to be key. So it's something to watch. It really is. Yeah. Well, and there's some interesting videos. Uh, we'll link below as we always do. But um, you can attach one of these uh, parachutes to a, a, a not a cruise ship, but just like a freighter out in the middle of the ocean, and it can be swirling around and generating electricity for that ship, which is a really interesting concept. So, so yeah, I mean, one of those, you know, early technologies, although again, like the idea has been around for over a decade and the Google leaders, uh, Sergey Brin and Larry Page 
were pretty interested in it. And it looks like after they stepped out of Google, uh, stepped down from their main major positions, that uh, then the project kind of was sent down and other leadership, I guess, maybe didn't see the merit. Uh, I'm not really sure what that, what, why that dissolved, but yeah. There's a lot of projects like that. It, that's not the only one that happened to it. And there was, there was several aerospace type programs that were going on simultaneously. I remember a number of those getting the same sort of outcome when uh, mm-hmm. leadership change happens. So that's not, a, that's not uncommon. I, I do think though that uh, the more you can prove it out in real service where that's where all the details are, and show that it works, then you you see a, a wide variety of customers start to come to your door. It's the proving it out yeah. part is the hard part. Well, and obviously, you know, and they talk about this as some of the issues are that, you know, with weather, if it means a huge thunderstorm, like they got to bring it in essentially. Sure. Um, and so forecasting, like not every it's storm huge. can be predicted <laughs> 10, 12 hours ahead of time where you can just like pull them all in. Sometimes it's pretty unexpected, especially in some of these tougher environments. So, um, you know, like you said, getting it out in the field will be crucial for them to figure out, Hey, how, how fast can we bring this in and how can we avoid damage to it? And how does this whole, whole thing work over given period of years where you're going to have lots and lots of different weather conditions that could affect the the, the kite. So, well, that's going to do it for today's episode of the uptime podcast. Be sure to tune in next week. We've got a great guest on the show and we'll explore some new technology here in the wind energy market. As always, follow us on YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and check out the links in the description below for all the articles we mentioned in today's podcast. And we will see you here next week on the Uptime Wind Energy Podcast. Operating a profitable wind farm is all about mitigating costs, minimizing risks, and being efficient with maintenance, repairs, and upgrades. It's incredibly expensive to send a team of rope access technicians up tower to make even simple repairs. We also know how costly lightning damage can be, requiring inspection, repairs, and downtime for even minor lightning strikes. Maximize the time efficiency of your techs and prevent future lightning damage by installing our Strike Tape LPS upgrade the next time your crews are going up on ropes. Learn more in today's show notes or visit us on the web at weatherguardwind.com.